Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Performance Nutrition Lead for Men's Canada Basketball, Mark Bubbs. tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So slightly different today, coming from a nutritionist. So not had a nutritionist on for quite a while, um, probably a couple of years actually. And it just fit the bill that me and Mark have been speaking for quite a while on trying to make something happen and dates lined up and um, circumstances lined up to, to make this happen. So Mark is heading away for the uh, Basketball World Cup late this year and has also released a book so both these things plus our calendars meant that we we could jump on and, and make this episode happen which i was really pleased to do so in this episode mark chats around team spot nutrition um pre-season nutrition versus in-season um half-time strategies um dealing with compressed schedules and working in multiple across multiple time zones as a, a non-on-site nutritionist um so loads and loads of content here from Mark um, if you're interested in nutrition and from my experience and, and talking to quite a few people the the gap between uh, the nutrition provision and the strength and conditioning sports science seems to be getting ever closer as people start to realize that both these roles bounce off each other really really well so that's something that Mark chats about in this in this episode as well so really appreciate Mark's time for jumping on and, um, and making this episode happen. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Mark Bubbs. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening I am speaking to Mike Bubbs, who is the Performance Nutrition Lead at Men's Canada Basketball. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Cheers, Rob. Thanks so much for having me on, bud. Absolute pleasure to have you. Long time coming. It's been far too long time coming, building this up. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a bit of a, a quick rundown of your experience, your education, and what you're currently doing. Absolutely, yeah. I'm the uh, performance nutrition lead for, for Canada Basketball, so our men's men's side, everything from our National Olympic team all the way down to 13-year-olds. We, we, we get them young and try to try to lay the foundations down as quick as we can. And then on the education side, I, I did an undergraduate degree in, in integrated sciences, integrated medical sciences. was thinking about going down the traditional route in terms of medical doctor and did my degree at U- University of British Columbia out in Vancouver. And as I was finishing off my degree, I got this real passion for nutrition and how it was impacting you know, health and how exercise played this key role in health. And I got a little dissuaded around, and this is sort of the, you know, around the 2000s, around the lack of nutrition and unfortunately at the time in in medicine really you know i mean the visits were pretty quick there wasn't a lot of application and so in north america and canada there's a, a naturopathic medical degree you can do that has you know a heavy emphasis on things like nutrition and so after taking a little bit of time off as you do after university and uh, doing a bit of traveling and working abroad i uh i circled back and, and did a, a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and just layered on that uh, you know, the athletic side, nutrition side on top of that and working in sport. So what is, and this is, this is horrendous because I probably should know this, but what's naturopathic medicine? Yeah, it's effectively, you know, it's, it's more of a philosophy than anything else. It's just looking at the whole person um, and the, and trying to establish sort of the root causes of, of what's going on. So you, you tend to see that more in chronic conditions. So things like prediabetes, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, things like hypertension, you know, rather than say giving a medication to simply lower the hypertension, trying to get to the root of, of why it's there in the first place in terms of what's going on in this person's nutrition regime, in terms of how you know much or too little they're moving, things like lifestyle, sleep, stress, all those types of things. And so, you know, that was something that really resonated with me and taking that holistic model into applying that with with athletes and, and training really uh, really hit home. Mm-hmm. So I think I've asked you this about four times now and, and talked about this, but so you're working for the men's Canadian basketball team, but you actually live in London. How did that come about and how did the role at, um, at the basketball come around as well? Yeah, so years ago with, um, you know, I have a background in strength and conditioning and one of the clinics I was working at, Sam Gibbs, who's our director of performance at Canada Basketball, he'd been working out of this clinic as well and, you know, had some challenges with some younger athletes on the nutrition side in terms of, you know, struggling with, with digestive concerns, with being run down, struggling with immunity. And, you know, thankfully we were able to patch a few guys up and over the years help more and more athletes. And as things started to grow at Canada Basketball, there was there was a room and a role for a full-time nutrition lead. And so that's where it was great to be able to to jump into that role a few years ago. And, and as our program has been building up, I mean, it's been amazing to see – the amount of players that have come through Canada because, uh, you know, for me growing up, basketball was definitely the, you know, my, my main sport. And we had about two guys in the NBA. Um, one of whom was Steve Nash. So you've probably heard of him. Yeah. Two time MVP. And I mean, we didn't even have a basketball team in Toronto, right? I was a, a Detroit Pistons fan because that was the closest team we had. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, you get the Toronto Raptors in, you have the whole Vince Carter effect. And it's amazing now, you know, we've got guys every year going in the first round of the NBA draft. We've got about 15 players in the NBA. And it's great to see their commitment to the cause as well in terms of showing up for all the FIBA qualifiers and, of course, helping us to qualify for uh, for the World Cup here in 2019 in, uh, in September in China. Excellent. So what's the, um, what's the expectation on you guys for China? Well, we're hoping to, uh, you know, we've got high expectations in terms of, you know, Own the Podium is an organization in Canada that, you know, funds and puts money into sports that we think we can we can meddle at and do well in. And we've been getting some good support from them. And so, you know, we'd like to, to make our way on the podium for sure. Got a lot of talent um, on the team. And obviously the performance staff has been working hard over the years. And and so it's it's great to see, especially even the level of commitment from from all of our guys in the NBA, as well as all of our professionals playing overseas and in Europe. Um, because with the way they changed the FIBA qualifying rules, there's actually six windows of qualification. So your roster was turning over quite a bit through each round and you, you needed a really deep pool of guys. And we had a, a pretty amazing performance from some of our European pros there down in uh, South America uh, to really clinch it for us uh, last November. Superb. So let's dive straight, let's dive straight into the nutrition side of things. And It'd be great to start off with a bit of an overview of your your overall philosophy when it comes to working with um, with team sport athletes, and then we can use that as a bit of a jumping off point, and we can uh, we can go from there. Yeah, I think team sports is unique in the sense that you know if you've spent any time in the gym, we we tend to get used to sort of nutrition simply for hypertrophy, building lean muscle, or or body composition to some degree, and. Team sports a bit of a different animal in the sense that, you know, if you're a basketball player and you're six foot eight and you've got a forty-four inch vertical jump and can run like the wind, I mean, if you've got you know a decent level of skill, the chances of you making it to a very high level are pretty darn good. So, you know, the nutrition piece really starts to come around on the uh, on a few different fronts. One of which is this athlete health front. So, really, you know, being able to be healthy enough to be able to show up every day and every week and every month to practice right that idea of being able to give that 90 to 95 percent 100 percent of the time versus you know having to only give 60 percent because you're injured or fatigued and so you know athlete health is definitely a big part of it the, the rigors of a long season it's 82 games the nba professional leagues overseas as well they're playing domestic and the euro leagues so it, it takes a big big toll and so to be able to you know, get the right plan in in terms of not only macros but micronutrients and the and the rest of it is really really important. <clears throat> and then, you know, again that would then dovetail into things like even immunonutrition to be able to support immunity, and of course, finally fueling for the demands. You know, what what is that athlete doing in terms of their sport? You know, what does a training week look like? What is how many games are they playing in a week? And can we find that right balance to be able to uh, you know to maximize performance on game day and also Help them recover efficiently and effectively enough to uh, to sustain that in the long run. So, how closely will you work with the strength and conditioning staff at these, um, first at the national team, but also with the clubs themselves to actually get an idea of the demands and how that may differ between different leagues across the world and when people are playing, how much people are playing. I guess there's a lot of moving parts for you to kind of piece together. So, when these guys do come to camp or 
of the World Cup, you've actually got a good idea of where people are at. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of moving parts, and, and we have a tremendous team. Um, Canada basketball, so Charlie Weingroff, our head strength coach. I mentioned Sam Gibbs, Jason Meehan, athletic therapist. And yeah, that communication is happening all the time throughout the year in terms of being able to check in with various players. And we're a little bit unique as a national team because, you know, 80% of our players come from a, you know, the Toronto area. So it's, it's pretty condensed in one spot and you do get to see, you know, faces uh, more frequently than you think. And uh, yeah, it's all about trying to understand the demands that have been put on them throughout their season. And, you know, obviously if teams are loaning out their players to play in these other competitions, you know, some teams support that more than others, let's say. And you definitely want to make sure that you're putting everything in place so that the players can be fully recovered and also fully fueled so that they can go in and, and perform their best in these competitions and also, you know, return to their clubs in a, in a good state and feeling like they've made some gains, made some progress and that, you know, that we're supporting them through and through. So not just for one cycle, but we have obviously a good stable of players and we want them to feel like they've got support over multiple years and they can play for us in the long run. So how much communication do you have with the clubs themselves? And when these players, did these players come go away do you, to you during the season or is it always the off season that they're away with you? Yeah, it depends from player to player. We have players who are more... Um, geared in terms of dialing in their nutrition and so with those players we can have multiple conversations you know throughout the year always checking in to seeing how they're doing and recovering um, you know obviously they've got support through their team as well and when that supports meeting their demands and you know it's, it's it's not as much contact as perhaps other players and at the end of the day always trying to figure out you know where they're at and being able to get them into our camps in terms of feeling their best and for other players, you know, they're taken care of with their teams and, and they don't need so much contact. And once we get into training camp, that's where on the nutrition front, it's time to be able to, to identify if we do have some players that, you know, potentially they were playing in the, long into the playoffs. And so there's going to be, and that's where obviously the communication, whether it's, you know, through their team or through our staff picking up and some of the, the pre-medicals of, of where a player might be at. And then we can, you know, put some things into place from a nutrition standpoint, recovery standpoint to be able to, to take care of those players and make sure that everybody's on point to uh, to kick off. Because again, this year, you know, you get certain years where it's a lot of travel, right? Going all the way over to China is not a small small dose of travel, and so those that brings into consideration a lot of other factors. Um, obviously, not only on the nutrition front, but on the on the training front and jet lag strategies, etc. So let's have a little chat around that. It'd be good to dive in a little bit deeper with, with, with that kind of stuff. In terms of dividing up the season, whether it be pre-season, in-season, in a camp, build-up to camp, how are you structuring the, I suppose the nutrition, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, but also, again, linking in with other members of the team, whether it be strength coaches, sports scientists, to kind of maximise that, um, that all-round preparedness for your athletes? Yeah, it's interesting when we look at, you know, even different sports when it comes to, you know, training and practice nutrition versus game day nutrition. You know, basketball probably shares a decent amount of similarities with with football. You know, what we call soccer, obviously, and uh, you know, we do see and you see this across multiple sports now, where things like protein intake, whether it's football, rugby, even now we see in basketball, where the last sort of 
decade, decade and a half, that messaging around protein has been so consistent that, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, the average footballer was consuming just over 100 grams of protein. Whereas today, you see, I mean, it's up to 200 grams in terms of a day. So that's, and that dovetails in with basketball. We see that in rugby as well. So a lot of that messaging, whether it's from the teams, the sports scientists, whether it's coming from things like social media or, or media, et cetera, it's definitely seemed to have gotten through. And, and this is where, when we turn our attention, you know, dietary fats typically are coming from the foods that players are eating. So that doesn't tend to fluctuate too much. And so you see now, you know, in the research that carbohydrates are tending to fluctuate more, you know, during the, the week. So in terms of the training and changing when we get to game day in terms of competition. So that difference between training nutrition and game day nutrition and whether for some teams that's actually a planned, purposeful, and strategic strategy, you know, may be the case. And and also, you know, in chatting with some some folks like uh, Liam Anderson has done a lot of work in EPL players, you know, some of this may just be, you know, inherent in terms of the players doing this on their own, in terms of their own, you know, hunger levels and their own behaviors before and after games. So it's 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 definitely something that has a lot of um, similarities and then dovetailing in with with basketball mm-hmm. so in terms of that increased protein intake from your experience is that so with that increase it's the carbohydrate that has that has reduced to to uh, on a kind of very general um viewpoint that's the thing that's reduced in terms of what the players are consuming to make room for that increased protein uh, not necessarily reducing. I just think it's around that focus of the players okay. just believing that protein is so important that the the focus has been centered around protein. So in you know most locker rooms, you know extra protein shakes and everything else. And so you know protein obviously is tremendously important. It's great to see that that messaging messaging has gone through. But I think now there's this period where especially you know lower carb diets being pretty beneficial for folks who are struggling with weight gain or metabolic disorders. And now that's dovetailing in a little bit with with players, and certainly there's some room for, again, purposeful and strategic re- reduction of carbohydrates. But we do have to watch in terms of you know playing multiple games in a week, especially that guys are getting enough carbohydrate in to be able to replenish um, glycogen stores, in particular in those fast twitch, those type two X fibers, because you know that was something that um, Liam had found in his research was that even though glycogen stores weren't fully depleted after a football match those type 2x fibers were indeed actually fully depleted and, and remain so even more than 48 hours after playing and so you know really being able to ramp up carbohydrate intake which you know can sound pretty easy when you just say okay one to 1.2 grams per kilogram you know in those first few hours after a game but in the real world scenarios it gets a little bit tricky because oftentimes players aren't as hungry you know, and we see with various teams, whether it's in America or over here in the UK and uh, in Europe, where you know performance nutritionists and teams will put out you know meals for players to have and and box meals to ensure that the guys are are refueling. But you know, unfortunately, those aren't always uh, taken up. And so, I think that's where liquid nutrition is definitely one where most guys will have that. And so, a lot of emphasis is placed there. But unfortunately, there's still some gaps in in terms of players actually following through and taking in that uh, nutrition that's been, you know, prepared for them to be taken home. 
rather than simply just relying on a, you know, unfortunately a slice of pizza or something like that that they might be having after they're uh, gone home for the night, right? So in terms of individualizing nutrition and, and post post game will be a will be a, a cool example, but feel free to use any. In terms of individualizing, in terms of the demands of each position or each body type, is that the kind of detail you guys are going to? Is that is that detail? And I'm I'm coming from a complete novice here, so please feel feel free to um, to dumb it down to my level. Um, but yeah, is that something that's going on in terms of the individualization at that level? I, it would be great if it more was happening. I think it's still early days, even in, in basketball and the NBA. It's definitely something that in, in football over here, uh, you guys are doing a, a great job. All the performance nutritionists trying to truly individualize the the intakes that are going in. So the work of the performance nutritionist with the team chef to say, well, you know, in this meal, there'll be 80 grams of carbohydrates versus this player might have 100, 120, you know, based on body size. And so that level of individualization can play a huge role in terms of recovery, in terms of the ability to, you know, support immunity, to, to refuel key uh, substrates for the following, uh, you know, following day or the match in, in, in 48 hours time. But it's still something that you don't see as much. I mean, you see sort of a handful, let's say even in the, you know, the NFL, you'd get, you know, stars like Tom Brady, who maybe has a, his nutritionist working in with the team chef and all these things being accounted for. And because at the end of the day, it does come down to the individual. So I think what most, what you see in most professional sports teams is this idea of trying to control the environment and creating an environment where, you know, the food's high quality, the chefs are high quality, trying to get the players in to be consuming as many meals as possible within the facility. And I think that's, it's definitely a great first place to start in terms of being able to raise the playing field and ensuring that the guys are, are taking on board as much as the fuels as they need. But, you know, as a lot of experts will tell you, that's still only, you know, 15, 20, 25% of the day in terms of the exposure to these guys. Mm-hmm. So that's a little chat around halftime nutrition. Um, so just want to give it, it'd be great to get some kind of recommendations in terms of, I mean, obviously basketball from your um, from your viewpoint, but maybe a little bit more general as well in terms of what can be done to maximize that 10, 15 minutes, whatever sport you, these guys um, or the guys out there uh, have uh, that halftime period and and what my re- recommendations you may have. Yeah, it's a fascinating area in terms of what can be done in these, these breaks, these gaps. And, you know, years ago, I remember watching, actually living in London years ago, I remember watching a Liverpool, I believe it was AC Milan final where they were down, I don't know if it was 3 nil. Yes. I think, at halftime. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you think, okay, this this game is over, right? Three goals. I mean, there's no chance. And, of course, they come out of halftime like gangbusters and one goal, two goals. All of a sudden, you're tied 10, 15 minutes coming out of halftime. And, and actually, recently, even in the Super Bowl in American football, the Patriots were down big to the Atlanta Falcons. And again, it was looking like Falcons had the Super Bowl all wrapped up. To the point where even the owner of the Falcons came down onto the sidelines, and that's typically a move that you would only do in the last few minutes of a game as you're sort of celebrating this potential win. And again, you get this massive flip and, and a load of points scored by New England, and they end up winning the Super Bowl. Now, does that all come down to nutrition? Well, you know, maybe, maybe not, but there's definitely things that can happen in terms of if, if you fuel incorrectly. And I think one of the mistakes that can be made even at the highest level is you know, consuming too many simple sugars too far before the game. 
And so the idea of getting on the team bus and you're 90 minutes out or 75 minutes out and you're consuming a pretty large bolus of, of glucose from a sport drink or something, and then you, you, know, you, you get into that start of the game and you're having a bit of rebound hypoglycemia. So those blood sugars are actually bottoming out a little bit on you and players come out slow. And a similar thing can happen in halftime as well. So you see some different strategies in terms of what could be done. Some of them include, you know, the use of things like honey rather than some of the maltodextrin formulas to be able to attenuate that drop in, in blood glucose. And you see some pretty interesting work done on that side of things in terms of being able to prevent, you know, getting a 4% drop in blood glucose with, you know, an isomultulose honey uh, mixture versus having a 19% drop with a typical kind of maltodextrin formula so that's definitely one area that you can that can be focused on um, of course it's always individual as well with what players prefer to be taking in but that's that's a key key spot to be thinking about and and the other one that we see often now again pretty common in most sports is caffeinated chewing gum so rather than having to wait the 45 or 60 minutes for your caffeine to kick in and to peak in the bloodstream you know being able to take it in you know if you're a a substitute player if you're coming in off the bench and you don't know when you might be coming in then being able to access that whether it's at halftime or or before your name's called to be able to get in there is a great way to be able to you know get those levels of uh, caffeine into the bloodstream you know much more quickly and there be able to have that effect when you need it versus having to say if you're a substitute caffeinating before the game and not really knowing when it's your time to come in what are the differences in terms of um, having the effect of that caffeine chewing gum versus a normal caffeine drink? The biggest effect will be that speed of uptake. So in terms of the buccal mucosa and being able to take it up much more quickly, so to be able to feel that effect. Now, there is a bit of differences in terms of some individuals will have that, will feel that sensation much more um, significantly than others. And so, you know, as with everything, you want to be testing this out in, in practice, and testing this out in exhibition games to see how you respond. Um, and even with some players, you know, sometimes players just feel flat. And so it can be nice to have a bit of a backup in terms of having experimented with some of these uh, strategies that if you, if you do come out flat or are performing not up to par in, a, in, a very, in an important game, you've got some strategies in your back pocket that you might be able to lean on to be able to give yourself a bit of a boost. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Mark. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we start with a nice little discussion around caffeine use and potential over-caffeine use. And this links in with an episode I did a couple of weeks ago with Shona Halson and how um, performance strategies can potentially hinder recovery strategies, given a caffeine being, being one of them, obviously boosting performance potential, um, but also a potential risk of... Um, lack of sleep based on the, the caffeine use so really interesting chat there then we discuss um halftime strategies um and the more logistical side of things to to enhance compliance with how things are structured how food's laid out who who sits next to who um all them kind of little um bits of experience that Mark's got from over the years of working in elite sport, how they can be manipulated to uh, to get the desired outcome from a nutrition point of view. So I hope you enjoyed part one, but a great part two coming up. 
But just before I do let you go and get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a performance gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So whether you're looking for a full gym fit out, whether it be flooring, racks, bars, the whole, the whole deal, or you're looking to add to things that you've already got, add to provision you've already got, definitely check out the guys at Black Box. Everything's made on site. All the, well, all the big equipment is made on site. Um, so if there's any customization that's needed, all that can be done in the uh, in the warehouse up, uh, in, in Belfast, which for me personally would be a big um, a big pull for me to use use a company that actually makes it there and then. Um, so if you are looking to, to do either of them things, with full gym fit out or bits of extras, you can see some of the projects that Black Box have done recently on their website, which is blkboxfitness.com, or on their social media channels, so Instagram and Twitter, at blkboxfitness. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system, so the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. In terms of caffeine and touching on that a little bit more, is there any ever any worry around um, effects of, of sleep post-game? I know it's all about the kind of getting the win, but when you've got back-to-back games, especially in like a World Cup, when you've got maybe 24 hours, 48 hours um, recovery, so really short turnarounds, is that a, is that a concern for you? for over-utilizing caffeine? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big concern. And, you know, in chatting with guys like, I think you've had him on your podcast here, Dr. Ian Dunican, yes. uh, his work and looking at, you know, the night before a game, athletes tend to not sleep very well. And then obviously the night of a game, they also don't tend to sleep well post-game in terms of sleep quality. And, and caffeine can be a big part of that. And I know my conversations with him around even rugby players, you know, not even being aware of the the amount, the dose of caffeine in their pre-workouts and pre-game formulas. And so all of a sudden they're getting this huge bolus of caffeine, you know, really pushing that upper limit of six milligrams per kg, you know, sometimes well exceeding it. And so that's definitely a concern in terms of if you're having to play multiple games back to back. And this is where, you know, different competitions. So in basketball, the World Cup's very different from an NBA schedule where you might play two, two and a half games a week. You know, here you're playing virtually every other day in a total of anywhere eight to ten games. And so those types of strategies really start to add up if you're not if you're over caffeinating and not getting the recovery, and then you can really start to to see a recovery issue and a performance effect as you get into the latter stages of competition. So definitely interesting. I mean, I know a lot of the work around nutrigenomics as well. Uh, Dr. Nancy Guest has done some work in endurance athletes and, and showing that even there's a subset of folks who are ultra-slow metabolizers who get a, a performance decrement. So about 10% of the population that get a you know 
worse performance from having caffeine. And so it, that could be an interesting factor as well in terms of if really trying to nail down how, how well somebody does metabolize caffeine to be able to individualize that dose best for them. So what would your recommendations be to your guys in terms of caffeine in that, in that scenario when it is every other day? I mean, typically what we want to see is around that three to four milligram per kg um, dose. And then, I mean, there's been some really interesting studies coming out showing around just the, the cognitive effects of are a bit of this Pavlov's dog effect of when you give somebody who's used to having caffeinated uh, drinks, caffeinated coffee, and they're given a decaffeinated form, they still get this cognitive benefit. They still get this performance benefit. And so there's a real habitual aspect to a lot of this and a real ritual aspect. So, you know, trying to keep it to, for some guys who prefer caffeine, you know, an espresso or a double espresso if they're having it you know, before a game, Typically, their schedules are a little delayed anyway in terms of by the time a game ends and by the time they get to sleep, it's going to be later than a you know, typical person who works a nine-to-five job. And so that tends to be fine, but we, you, know, you do need to watch in terms of athletes who like to caffeinate throughout games. So you see this a little bit more in, in, in ice hockey or American football and I'm sure in rugby as well where guys might be caffeinating more at halftime to really give themselves an edge going into the second half. Probably see that less in, in basketball, but... Uh, definitely still want to be trying to individualize that dose and just make guys aware because sometimes they're not going to be aware that they can still have um, these peripheral effects from the caffeine when even the central effects are starting to wear off. Mm -hmm. So one thing you've mentioned a couple of times and it, it maybe said in a couple of different ways, but um, around compliance with players and that in, in a kind of real world scenario, how are you getting around that? with trying to obviously implement as much as possible but be sympathetic with how they live their lives outside of the weight room or outside of the facility yeah i mean that's that's a fascinating question and it's definitely one i mean there's a few elements to that you know for myself one being a national working with a national team as you mentioned we don't see the guys throughout the entire year as with anything, some players you develop more of a relationship or they have more of an interest in, in nutrition and so there's more of a conversation. And with more touch points and a better relationship, you're able to layer in these things over the weeks and months and years. And other players either, you know, might not gravitate to it so quickly, or you know, if you're a younger player, it might not even be on your radar in terms of things that you think you need because you're, you know, you're sort of believing you're able to recover anyway. And and so I'm always cognizant of, of trying to keep, you know, the community aspect of nutrition, the sort of fun aspect of food and, and meals and, and building this community um, effect when we have meals because we don't want to make it so um, so static or so, um, you know, cold that it becomes another chore for them to do, another thing for them to think about because they already have – so many things on their plate that they're having to check off that we don't want them to have to feel like when they get into the, the food hall that again it's another uh, list of another to-do list or homework or whatnot for them to accomplish so trying to create the, the right environment in terms of you know even the way we might lay out food um, in terms of ensuring that they're getting sufficient amounts of, of you know protein if that's at the start of the buffet or where the you know the carbohydrates might be or again how we organize that in, in various 
uh, meal times. And then I think for a lot of them as well, you see this with teams, you know, the classic example of San Antonio Spurs where, you know, the players get together over meals and they break bread and they share stories and they connect. And I think that's where you can get a lot of power from, you know, mealtime and nutrition is this idea of bringing athletes together. And it's, it's definitely something that, you know, our older veteran players and some of our guys like Steve Nash, who was our formerly our GM at Canada Basketball, would talk about, you know, the the relationships that were made around the table. And I think that's something that I'm sure you, you, know, you guys must see in, in football and other sports over here is just the, you know, players being on their phones more or, you know, players sitting at one table and therapists sitting at another table and, and so forth. And so, you know, trying to bring a bit of that, that fun and then keeping it light and making it an environment where players can, can connect and build some relationships, especially when you're in a, a national side and you've got to kind of build that camaraderie in a, a short space of time. It's pretty important. Is there anything you do in terms of, and you touched on it there a little bit, but in terms of where you struck, where you put the food and who you, not maybe who you see people with, but is there any structure that and little kind of tweaks that you make in terms of the, I suppose the mental aspect of where the food is, what it looks like, how it's presented, to get that positive effect, to get that, hopefully get that compliance a little bit more with the, with the guys? Yeah, I mean, definitely there's certain meals of the day even. I mean, breakfast can be one where unfortunately players will maybe come down towards the end of the of the breakfast window right before the meetings and then go into practice. And, you know, when you're, when you're looking at what's on the plate, you think, geez, it's not enough. That's not a lot of fuel on board for what we're trying to accomplish. And so that's where having, you know, even uh, – making some morning smoothies, protein shakes, and being able to, again, achieve these doses of whether it's protein, carbohydrate that you're trying to get, but sometimes in a way that's just easier for them to take in if they're only going to be there for, for 10 or 15 minutes. Having some liquid nutrition and then a little bit of food in terms of whether it's some fruit or whatnot. For some guys, even though it's not your your gold standard kind of A-plus strategy, you've got to find that middle ground and be able to you know, at least get – as close as you can to what you'd like to achieve. And of course, you're always going to have your other players who come down and come down early and just, you know, knock it out of the park in terms of being able to put the right stuff on their plate. And what we found is if we can start to help our guys early enough at, at 13, at 14, at 15 years old, then all of a sudden it gets a heck of a lot easier once they're 20, 21, 22 and playing, uh, you know, professionally. Sorry to jump around a bit here, but things keep coming to my mind that I'd like to, to run past you. No worries. Um, one thing is post-game nutrition. One thing that has become popular over here, or certainly has over the last couple of years, I don't know who came up with this, now, but I think there is probably some – it's been butchered, basically, the, the idea of, of pizzas after a game. And I'm sure whoever came up with that, there was a thought behind it, and it, was, it wasn't just dominoes, but – I think it probably has turned into, oh, so-and-so are eating pizzas. Let's just get some dominoes in. What's your thoughts around around that? And have you is this something that has kind of gone overseas and, and um, or just guys in the in England that think it's cool to have 25 dominoes pizzas after the game? <laughs> that's, that's funny. I mean, back in the day, there was the famous Michael Jordan flu game in the NBA Finals where he scored – you know, he kept making threes. I believe it was against the Portland Trailblazers. It's sort of the classic flu game, and and apparently that was actually 
from what I've also heard is that they were eating pizzas before the game and it might've been a food poisoning that he actually got before that game. Um, and so, yeah, when we talk about things like pizza, I mean, there's a bit of a trend in North America now to be making pizzas with a protein crust. So you've actually got like a chicken crust on the pizza with vegetables and the rest on top to really um, ramp up uh, protein intake. But in terms of, you know, pizzas after games, I mean, for a lot of these players, they need to get in a heck of a lot of carbohydrate. And as I mentioned before, you know, players sometimes don't aren't that hungry after a game. And if you can get some food that's a really hyper palatable food, a food that you tend to eat more of, um, you know, for the rest of us, we should probably not eat as much as we do. But for them, you know, they can get they can get away with it, right? And so, I think that's sometimes where the even the general public might get some confusion there around. Well, geez, that doesn't seem like a healthy food. Um, but in terms of, you know, if it's all about refueling, I think that can be pretty appropriate to be able to just get on board the amount of carbohydrate you need. Now, now whether in a pizza you're going to get enough protein is a different is a different question. But I think most of the time these players are going to be having some type of protein shake or drink along with it. So it can be a little bit of a strategic way of getting the totals that you're after, even if the, uh, the quality might not be exactly what you want. But again, sometimes you've got to, You've got to pick uh, the the best of the of the sort of less than ideal options, right? Yeah, that, that's one thing I was going to say. Is it something better than nothing? And how much, as a nutritionist, do you have to? Um, I suppose play the game a little bit, as you know that they're getting they're not getting something that's perfect, and that wouldn't be the ideal scenario. However, they're getting this, and that's actually better than what they may be getting if I wasn't here and didn't have any say what was going on. Absolutely. And I mean, you could even say that uh, if they're all going to sit down and have pizza together after the game because you've ordered the pizzas in versus all of them going home and then just having whatever they're going to eat, you know, I think most staffs would tell you that's a pretty positive thing to say, hey, we're going to have all the guys together eating together. Um, you know, now obviously if that turns into every single meal post game, then maybe there's some some things you need to sort out. But uh but yeah, it's, there's so much nuance in it, and I think just the the morale of the guys and how they're generally trending and and where those gaps are in terms of what you're trying to accomplish really play a key role in, that, in how you do that. But um, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Even the whole concept started jump here, but the body composition and, and performance. You know, I mean, we just saw uh, Anthony Ruiz there shock the world by knocking out uh, Anthony, yes. Anthony Joshua, and it you know the classic American boxing commentator that as well. As, I think he said his quote was, "You've just set physical fitness back a hundred years here in, in America." Yeah, I like, saw that. I saw but that. it's, uh, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Because you have a fighter who's highly skilled. You know, you have a sport where there's a lot of contact, obviously, and so a bit of extra weight. You know, how detrimental is it? And then what really fascinates me is sometimes if, and this is obviously we're talking combat sport now, but you know, sometimes the opponent, if they see somebody who's a bit overweight, then they just make assumptions around how fit they are or their mentality or how, you know, and so, and this is actually, you see this in uh, this classic story in Canada as well, the Toronto Maple Leafs, former captain, Phil Kessel. He was a, uh, you know, phenomenal hockey player, uh, captain of the Leafs. And they had a, a really young team at the time. And, you know, he looked a bit overweight. He looked, you know, um, and so, well, there's a picture of him in the summertime. He liked to play golf and go fishing. And there was a picture of him eating hot dogs at a at a golf charity golf tournament. And 
you know, the newspapers, the media in Toronto. I mean, ice hockey is just everything in, in around the Toronto area. And so even in the middle of summertime, the first four or five pages of the sports section is nothing but ice hockey. And they were all over Phil Kessel. And the irony was when you dug into it a little bit deeper, despite his body fat being a little bit high, you know, he tested as one of the, if not the fastest guy, strongest guy, and missed the fewest amount of games due to injury. And so it got down to this question of, well, well geez, what are we doing here? I mean, if he's, if, if all these metrics are being checked off, then, you know, is this really a problem? And I think, you know, whether or not that's the case for Ruiz, I don't know. But if, I think sometimes in various sports, we can get uh, maybe a little bit too focused on it. Um, and of course, there's always those exceptions as well, where there's definitely certain players who need to focus more on it. But I think that's a really fascinating question around, you know, what is the ideal body composition for a particular athlete? Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about working with the player or the athlete to be sympathetic with their, well, you know, what they like and, and things like that. But is there any non-negotiables for you in terms of your guys? Like this is just, this is happening, whether you like it or not. One of the big ones for us is definitely trying to establish the meal frequency. You know, if, if we can get players used to eating at, you know, six meals a day, so to speak, having your three bigger meals and three snacks and having that just be a regular pattern for them. Then again, as a national team, we're not going to be with them all the time, but we're more confident that they're going to be able to achieve that daily energy intake that they need, that daily protein intake, carbohydrate intake as they go through the rigors of a season. Because, you know, like any sport, as the season wears on, players get tired, they get run down, appetites go down, like you lose lean muscle mass, you know, recovery gets impacted immunity gets impacted so that's a nice way to be able to try to establish the fact that that frequency of meals uh, becomes just automatic and then that way the player and their environment with their team or if they're off at a you know prep school or college gets used to that and they're just looking for those food meal opportunities and eating opportunities because uh you know as trent stellingworth just recently said there at the football medicine conference you know athletes are going to train 200, 300, maybe 400 times in a year, but they're going to eat, you know, 1,400 to 1,600 times. So we've got to make sure that we're taking advantage of those opportunities and getting them all in to really be able to support these guys and gals. Mm-hmm. So did, would that differ in World Cup scenario, for instance? Is there any non-negotiables in that tight and knit um, pack schedule? Ideally, I mean, that's where in those tighter compressed schedules, we need to be more aggressive with the post-game yeah. fueling in terms of the carbohydrates. So really ramping up the amount of carbohydrate in, in, the, sh- in the smoothie or shake post-game, having things available that the players will have. And that gets a little tougher into, you know, you, you'd, you'd like to make it a non-negotiable. You know, it's, it's more, it's difficult to tell, you know, guys who are you know, grown men exactly what they're going to eat right afterwards. But uh, again, most of the time, if you can set the environment where most of the guys are doing it, then, then other players tend to follow suit. But uh, just the notion that everything's got to increase, particularly in terms of carbohydrate intake and energy intake and these compressed uh, schedules, as well as things like even hydration post-game can be, uh, you know, that's kind of the really big one. And most guys get it in terms of cognitively, but then once, you know, when that fatigue hits in, it's, it's difficult to be that hungry. And so sometimes you need to come up with some creative strategies to make sure they're getting it all in. Superb. So in terms of, um, hydration strategies, what is, 
and that's a very general term, hydration strategy. But what is that in in terms of your mind going into this going into this World Cup um, as a bit of an overview? And again, we can dig in around that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think when you get into a scenario where you're playing multiple games and in, in, you know in a few days is where definitely getting player weigh-ins to be able to assess you know how much water we're losing is really key. You know, and if players are losing a significant amount of water and it's a, you know, the game's the following day perhaps, then that's when we have to get a little bit more aggressive in terms of, you know, for every kilogram loss, we're looking for about 1.5 liters back in, in those initial hours after, after a game. And, you know, hopefully guys are, are doing that, but if not, then, you know, we want to be able to, to monitor that and the following day be able to see where they're at because, you know, that's going to have a big impact on uh on the ability to recover and their ability to really uh you know maintain that work capacity the following day again going back to the compliance scenario how 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 easy is that to implement with the guys in terms of one kilogram to 1.5 liters yeah again you have you know you got your guys who naturally just go through a lot of water bottles and in one game and, and are really good at getting hydration in and and are used to you know themselves monitoring even urine color as a very you know general way of assessing hydration and they're pretty good at being able to notice when it's time to, to increase the uptake and you'll get other players where it really unfortunately you know they, they miss a lot of the little warning signs and we've got to be more on top of them and typically we'll have already flagged some of those guys and and know who that we need to stay on top of a little bit more and again i think one of the things that we tend to forget around even just water intake is is you know, in terms of food. So, you know, the more whole foods we're eating, the more whole foods the athlete's eating in terms of fruits and vegetables, as well as carbohydrate and even, you know, animal proteins, you're bringing on board a lot of water as well. And so, you know, typically you don't see this as much in the professional guys, but even perhaps more in the younger athletes, but athletes are more on a processed food diet. You know, if they're struggling on a budget or away at, at a, a camp or school, then, then that can impact in terms of, you know, total water intake. But, uh, but yeah, you know, urine, urine color is a good general way. Obviously, we can be more uh, targeted with our assessment of that with, with using uh, various tests. But, uh, but that's a nice general way. And then keep making sure we're on top of that, especially if you're playing in a warmer environment. If it's going to be hot and humid outside as well, then you've got to really make sure you're, you're keeping on top of that. Superb. So we're coming to the end of the forty-five minutes that I promised that I'd keep you. Plus, I'm getting super, getting super hungry. Yeah, I was going to say talking, right? about, <laughs> talking, about, <laughs> talking about food. Um, but last but not least, you've got a book coming out. Talk to a little bit around the idea behind the book, why you feel it's needed, uh, and where people can get it, when people can get it, etc. Yeah, so the new book is called Peak, and it's it's all about um, you know how I practice and this philosophy of you know, athlete health, fueling for sport, recovery, and mindset. And, you know, the big part of the book is really trying to connect practitioners with with the people doing all this phenomenal work on the ground. So all the PhDs, the researchers who are, who are doing all this fantastic research to be able to give us these recommendations around what we should be taking in and setting these evidence-based standards. And, you know, it's still still a lot of folks unfortunately who, who aren't up to speed in terms of, of what we can be doing on that front and you know the other aspect of this is also this idea of being able to take elements from other domains right a little bit uh, 
you know, David Epstein's new book, Their Range, all about the expert generalist. It's a little bit of that notion of expert generalism in sport, of being able to, you know, even if you're a specialist, being able to go into other domains and understand a little bit more about athlete health and how things like, you know, blood glucose levels impact health and, you know, more on the mindset side of things and how, you know, emotions and these types of things can also impact, you know, not only things like mood, but overall health. So yeah, that was the, uh, the impetus for the book. And it was a great pleasure to be able to interview a whole bunch of world experts to be able to, to tease out some great information from them and uh, hopefully be able to support some folks who, uh, who pick it up. Excellent. So that's the structure of the book, is it? Like a, an interview style? Uh, it's, it's broken down into into four sections. So the athlete health section, we've got a sleep, uh, gut, and then the blood sugar section. And then we get into fueling. So we cover various sports from body composition to endurance and team sport. And then, again, three more chapters on recovery, talk immunonutrition, you know, monitoring. And then on the mindset side, leadership, emotions, and also you know diving into to concussion and what can be done from a nutrition standpoint uh, there to support. Excellent. And when's the, when's the book out, Mark? So the book's just come out uh, May 24th. Nice. And where, where can people get it? Where's the best place? Yeah, people can pick it up, you know, any of the bookstores there, Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, Chapters Indigo, uh, Amazon, um, all those uh, all those book retailers. I think we actually uh, got number one there in the new release in Sports Medicine and Amazon. So hopefully we can uh, oh, nice. appreciate the support from folks. Hope we can keep that going. Absolutely. And any any questions that people have got off the back of this episode, what's the best pe- place for people to um, to get in touch with you? Uh, at Dr. Bubs is probably the best on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Dr. Bubs. You can reach out, fire away the questions. Happy to uh, help out if I can. Excellent. Easy as that. Straight across all, all the social media. I like it. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Really appreciate you uh, coming on, having a chat, and um, and good luck with the with the book. I'm sure it'll go down an absolute storm. It sounds like it already is. Awesome, Robertson. Appreciate you taking the time, and uh, all the best. Pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Really appreciate Mark coming on the show, and especially a busy time with the book out, with uh, the World Cup coming up. So, really appreciate his time. Also, big thanks to Black Box Fitness, to Kitman Labs, Hawking Dynamics, and I Measure You for sponsoring this episode today. So, if you haven't pressed subscribe and you've chosen podcast player, make sure you do it now. So, next week and all the following weeks, you will get an expert delivered to your phone or iPad or tablet um, to, to listen to on a Thursday morning UK time. So thanks again for all your support. Really hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll chat to you soon.